Welcome back to the Blind Side Rewind. I believe we're on episode nine. Oh, and that was a nice can pop. My man Justin Baxley. I'm I'm Jeremy Timmerman. Uh, Justin Baxley is is the other host here, and he has opened a beer, and I am eager to know what you're drinking tonight. Got a little bit of Rapturous from Three Tavern, another Georgia brewery. That's a good uh, one. Their sour. Uh, line that they have is unbelievable. Uh, I had one. I had one of theirs Sunday. Sap. I believe you've had it. Before. Big fan of that one. Lord Grey is still my favorite. Nothing top yeah. Lord Grey. It's an Earl Grey tea sour. It's hard to beat. Um, it is. It is. Now Saporus is is great for this time of year because it's more of a tropical right. feel. I don't know, man. I can drink that Lord Grey just about any time. But well, the I mean, ra- right. <laughs> the Rapturous is a is a raspberry sour ale. So another another one that's not bad for this time of year. It's a little no, bit no. sweeter, a little bit tarter. Um, it's just an easy drink. Uh, again, one that you can sip on and talk a little bit of Survivor. Yeah, I went a little bit darker this evening, and I'm drinking out of a glass because I feel like I'm drinking a uh, – it's a brewery I am not familiar with, Steady Hand Brewing out of Atlanta, and uh, it's a an Imperial Coffee Stout. And I feel like when I'm drinking a stout, I, I want to drink it out of a glass. I don't know if that's I, visually. I do think they just. I think they look better when you. It, it, and it, it seems they seem to taste smoother out of a glass. Maybe I'm being ridiculous, but that. You know, man. I'll be honest. I've found that I a lot. There's a, there's few beers that I, I do prefer in the can, or just enjoy drinking out of the can. Uh, but there's a lot of like the Piedmont's obviously one of our favorite breweries. We've talked about it on the podcast before. There's a couple of them that like aren't bad in a can by any means, but when you pour it in a glass, it just tastes so much better. Yeah, like it, it just goes to the next level. Um, maybe that's just me being weird, and there's not really a difference, but there feels like a difference. We can say it's the mouthfeel. That feels like a thing you should say when you're evaluating food or beverage is mouthfeel. And I think the yeah. mouthfeel is different out of the glass. I feel like I've become a, a super hipster since uh, this quarantine coronavirus stuff started. I got big into craft beer. I let my beard grow out. Um, so I, I, I really feel like I'm leaning into the uh, the uh, millennial hipster uh category um as, how as deep I, is how deep is your v-neck are you wearing a deep v-neck t-shirt is that not, not yet I, I haven't moved into deep v-neck territory just yet but okay. give me a couple weeks i don't well, know man my, my ch- i don't know if my chest hair needs to be on display for everybody so we might, we might need to wait on that i think that's what makes the deep v even better is when you've got just a nice puff of chest hair sticking out i don't know does it i don't know i've always been i've always been a little self-conscious of my chest hair i think yeah. it's because because i was picked on in high school because i was the only kid with all this chest hair and so it felt weird and so like every time like i was changing you know for for p or whatever like people were like you know, dang, you got a lot of chest hair and like pick on me for it. So I've always been a little, little self-conscious of it since then. You were just a grown man before the rest of your friends. That's the only thing. I was like 14 with like a, like I look like a full grown wolf. It's the steroids <laughs> in the chicken is what I'm told. It's the steroids in the chicken. That, that works. I, I did eat a lot of chicken as a kid. <laughs> a lot of nuggies and tendies. Well, uh, <laughs> Justin did mention being a millennial. And if you've been tracking along, we are watching Millennials versus Gen X season 33, I believe it is. 
Jeremy, um, this is my this is my second watch through. I am curious as a first time watcher how you feeling so far. I you know I was skeptical about this season, um, because largely because I I knew who won from watching Winners at War, and I was not a fan of him on Winners at War, um, and just the the. And even at first, first watch, when we talked about this in the last episode, I wasn't a huge fan of the exact way that the theme was playing out. Um, I think it's a good idea. I like that it's easily defined. Everybody fits into their um, into their uh, themed tribe, largely because survivors set what those years would be. Uh, but I just I wasn't a fan of the of all of the I'm a millennial so I do this I'm a Gen X so I do this it it was it was it got a little old quick but felt man forced it felt a little forced but these last three episodes that we watched they really settled in and I've really enjoyed some of the interactions I've enjoyed some of the strategy I've enjoyed some of the characters and we're gonna get into that some tonight um, so yeah I think it's a I I, I really enjoy it as a season. Well, I think for me, like you mentioned how overboard they went in those first two episodes. They've barely mentioned it over the last three. Uh, they've largely gotten away from talking about those those differences in age. And some of that helps when you when you go into a tribe swap, too, is that kind of goes away. Like th- that, that rivalry between the, the ages no longer matters anymore because you've got to focus on winning with your tribe now and making yeah. sure you can avoid elimination. So I think that helps some, too. Um, and we did see that, um, but not as not as much talk. And I, I do think it, it allows you to settle in, and for it to be a normal season from that point on, it's not as theme heavy. You know, they'll mention it every once in a while just to let you know, hey, don't forget this is millennials versus Gen X. But it's not as in your face, down your throat type of of edit where where like every it felt like those first two man. I'll be honest, every confessional felt like it was just talking about. Yeah, I'm a millennial because uh, I like to to breed bees in the backyard of my you know apartment complex. And yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a Gen, Gen X. I don't understand what those people are doing over there because I work so hard. Yeah, exactly. Right. It, it got old very quickly, which is fine since they've gotten away from it. I don't mind it anymore, and and I've definitely and again, this is the second time watching through, so for me anyway, and I think that. I'm again reminded why I really did enjoy this season so much. There are some great players. They play relatively hard early on. I mean, it's not like they're they're moving slow strategy wise. Like there's, it feels like there's big moves pre merge, which is something that some seasons, I'll be honest, kind of lack. There are times where the pre merge is just so boring, um, and we we have not had that problem this season. No, we haven't, and, and we saw a relatively big move. Uh, was one of the last things we saw before our last episode when uh, the millennials there was there was a blind side of Mari, and so of course we opened this episode with a reaction after Tribal, and you know we obviously mentioned and if you haven't seen this season already or if you somehow are listening to this podcast and you didn't see Winners at War and you have no idea there's a spoiler coming so maybe like. Stop listening right now. I don't know, or or like fast forward maybe a couple minutes, and maybe we won't be talking about this anymore. I, I don't know what to tell you, but uh, Adam ends up winning this season, and uh, you for me it was the first hint 
of how he won this season because they come back from tribal and it's one of those things I don't even know if you would have caught if you didn't know he was the winner because obviously I'm looking a little more at Adam than I am at a lot of other people because I know how this season ends and right. or I know who wins I don't know the the exact end scenario but I know who wins and so um they come back from tribal and he had gotten he wasn't blindsided obviously he was still there but he was not included in the plan. He was left out of the plan to get out Mari. And his reaction when they got back to camp, now he and Zeke were the primary ones that were um, left out in the cold. Zeke was upset, but Adam just went, wow, nice. Wow, well done, you guys. Well done. Nice move. Nice move, I think nice is move. what he said. Something like yeah. that. It was, and, and it wasn't just one thing. He, he, said, he said something along those lines at Tribal. I, I'd never really caught it, but he, he, he looked at um, – I think it was Jay or Taylor. I I, I think it was Hannah, un- one of them, or it was not un- Hannah. It was Michelle. Un- yeah, it was unclear which of the people from that alliance he looked at, but he said something at Tribal like, "Wow, well played." But then when they got back to Tribal, he made sure to go to them and say, "That was really well done, well played." Right, and, and he basically says to them, "You are playing the game. I understand why you had to to blindside me. It's okay." Yeah. I'm still willing to work with you going forward. And you and I have talked about this at length, so whether that be here on the podcast from previous seasons or just us talking uh, Survivor before we ever thought we would be doing a podcast, um, is that this is a game of people getting voted out. And you have to understand that like everybody's going to get voted out except for the winner and the people that are sitting at Final Tribal. And even then, technically, they're getting voted out. <laughs> um, and the benefit... There is no benefit. To be and, angry. I under, and I understand Zeke feeling left out and being aggravated, and he didn't take it too far. In fact, he did the smart thing because he knew he was aggravated, and he said, just leave me alone. Just kind of give me some space. He was talking to Hannah. Hannah was one of the ones that had flipped. He said, just leave me alone. Just give me some space. And, and Adam was, was agreeing. Hey, he said, give him some space. Give him some space. So Zeke didn't handle it poorly. But you have people that get upset in that situation. There's just no benefit to it. Well, right. Because... And then, well, they handle it, and they don't want to work with you after that. And that's you're just, a, that's dumb. You're alienating that person or those people now, which obviously they have numbers now. Why are you alienating them? You want to be included with them because they have the numbers to take you out. So it, it alienates them now. And then at the end, you're e- you either need that person to be an ally post-merge or eventually they're going to be on the jury. And so I don't know that Adam did that as a jury management intentionally, but it was a good move because at that point you're talking about, what was it, four, five, Day six? seven or eight, right? Yeah, there, there are several people. I guess if you're, six. If you're going to win, the odds are there are at least a couple people in that group that are going to be on the jury if you're going to win. And so if you plant that seed early that Adam is somebody who is easy to work with, Adam is somebody who recognized good strategy. Maybe they'll never say, hey, listen, guys, or when they're voting or discussing, they, they may never say, you know what, back on day six or seven, Adam was uh, really complimentary of that move. But it, it, it sets that, even if it's just subconscious, it sets that precedent that Adam is not difficult to work with. When I, make a, when I made a move, he understood it. He wasn't obstinate about it. And it, I just think in so many ways, the vote is done. And you even saw that conversation about another vote in these – I don't remember which one in these three episodes where somebody said, listen, we – All right. That vote is done. It does you no good. 
to be angry and um, attack the people who made the move. Yeah, I think it's just one of those scenarios where you, if you're going to get upset, you have to have a reason and you have to have a, a play. Like Zeke's play was, yes, I'm upset. Leave me alone. What that does, though, is it still opens up the door for him to go back to Hannah and be like, look, you betrayed me. You hurt me. I need you to earn that trust back because I know in your heart you want to work with me and I want to work with you. I just need I need a little bit of help on your end. I think that's a perfectly fine conversation to have with someone. But it, there are we've seen it in the past where you, they alienate them completely. They're like, don't talk to me. I don't want to work with you anymore. And, prime example, we just finished Kageyan. I think Spencer handled the cast when cast flipped on them vote really poorly. I know he, he kind of tried to get back in with her at one point, but it felt like the damage had been done there. When As soon as he said cast never going to win the game or what, or something along those lines, um, it kind of burned that bridge. Yeah. I mean, it de- that, it, and I don't that, think that cost him the season, but it definitely made it harder. It, it was an uphill battle from there. I think there were a couple times during the season where Cass could have flipped on Tony, come to Spencer's side if Spencer had handled that vote, maybe the way that Adam played it. And I'll be honest, if it's Spencer versus Wu, Spencer wins. So I think that, you know, when you're when you're looking at it from, from that perspective, is those early moves like that can impact how far you go in the game. And, and it can impact, like, who's willing to work with you. I think Adam, you know, by, by doing that, kept the door open for him to work with, you know, somebody like Jay maybe down the line or, or, uh, or Taylor or Michelle or Hannah, some, some like those type of players that he, he can still work with. He and Taylor are, are the greatest allies to have on the Island by any means, because I just think they're, I don't know. They're so focused on each other, specifically Taylor, that sometimes it doesn't even feel like they're playing the game. But Adam kept in line with the people that are playing the game to play the game. And I think he continued to make allies of them. And I think that was such a key to, to obviously we'll talk about it as he, as the season wears on, but at least for right now, it was a big move because I don't think he alienated himself to where he's going next. Yeah, it, it was huge. So we'll go through that episode a little bit. One of the next things that happened was kind of an interesting thing. You had the summit where four, randomly drawn people from each tribe gathered on another one of the islands for a little meal and just kind of established some connections. Um, I'd love to talk about that maybe, but at the same time, we, we really, I don't know that we saw much of that come to fruition when a couple episodes later, there was a tribe swap where some of these people came together. And I don't really know that anything that was established there carried over. Did, did do you feel that way? I don't remember anything offhand, to be honest. Because like, there's nothing, nothing comes to me where I'm like, oh yeah, they made that connection at the summit. That's why they worked together once the tribe swap happened. I don't, I don't remember that happening. So uh, I mean, if it we, did, they they didn't edit it very well to make me catch that. Because you had Figgy, Jay, Taylor, and Will went for the millennials, and then CC, Chris, David, and Paul. Um, I, I mean, if anything, maybe we saw Chris and David were a little bit uh, tighter. Later Maybe on. a little bit, but, but I mean, they were I already that, on the same tribe. So tribe, I, right. It, and Chris's biggest connection with the, on the millennial side ends up being Zeke, who had the tr- right. tribe swap. Who was? Because they're both there. from Oklahoma, right? Yeah. So, who wasn't there? Uh, again, I think that 
we did see some of that like across uh, cross tribe lines when we get to the the tribe swap, but I don't think it was anything related to the summit. Oddly enough, now what hurts that is that two of the four that went for the millennials were Figgy and Taylor, who, as you said, are all about themselves. So, I, I, I man, I, I don't want to turn this into a Figtails hating party or whatever. But man, they really just don't seem to want to play the game sometimes. Well, I think like I think Figgy does, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah, that that was one of the more interesting things about the tribe swap is that she did learn her lesson. But Taylor, my goodness, he was he he is man, he is he's got it bad. He's, he does. Look, I'm I get it. You know, I'm I'm I'll be the first guy to admit. You know, if there's a, a pretty girl around, I'm I'm a little different. I'm not gonna lie. Like I'm, you know, I, I I can see where I'd want my crush to enjoy being around me, that kind of thing. But man, I'm playing for a million dollars, and unless I'm marrying that person, like a, a Rob and Amber situation, uh, I don't know if this is worth it, buddy. I, I I you know, my future wife probably would not be happy that I lost Survivor because I was enthralled with another woman. Yeah, and I'm obviously coming from a different standpoint altogether. So I would be voting off women left and right, not because I'm a sexist, but because I want it to be very clear that I did not want to be with the with any other women any longer. You know what I mean? Like maybe that would be yeah. a flaw in my game, but like I I would make it abundantly clear. I, not that I wouldn't work with them. Hey, if we if there's a woman like let me tell you somebody that I would have worked with and worked well with Elaine from Thirty Nine. She and I would have gotten along very well. I love watching her on Survivor, and she was funny, and I feel like she and I would have got along really well, and I liked her like way of playing. I thought she was genuine but also strategic. That's somebody I could have worked with, but like so it, it's not just a sexism thing, but like no, I, I, would, I would not be getting in any any danger of that direction. Right. Well, and I mean, that's the thing. Like, I'm not saying I wouldn't work with someone. Like, I think I could work really well with somebody like Sarah. Like, I've watched Tony and Sarah do it three times. I'm not saying that. But I think that there's a difference between playing together with a woman and then, like, us being a team and a tandem and me throwing my game away for a woman. Right. And this, right. It, goes, it goes both ways. Like, there's a difference between playing, like, Amber and Rob showed that you can play as a tandem. But, you know, there's the a end, difference. Only one of you is winning a million dollars. Right. And but then if you and I think it's so funny because it, look, if you watch back in Winners at War versus when you watch All Stars with Robin Amber, Robin and Amber played in tandem and they were great together. In Winners at War, Amber basically threw her game away and said, it's all on you, Rob. Like, I want you to win. Like, if one of us is going to do it. It's going to be you. And was willing. it's different, obviously, that they're married. Don't get me wrong. Like, I think that's in that case, I think Amber knew, like, look, Rob's got a, a much better shot at winning this thing than I do. I want to put all my all my eggs in that basket. But, like, just looking at the way they played the game two different times, it shows you that, like, there's a difference between playing with someone and throwing your game for someone. And, um, and, and to this point, we have not seen Taylor do anything that was not in the best interest of his relationship. So... Right. Like, it's not like he's he's furthering their game through it. Like, what Rob did in, in All-Stars, like, every move he made was a move to get both he and Amber to the end. Taylor's not making moves except for making moves on Fig. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Much different. That's a fact. So we'll get through the rest of this episode, episode three. Um, pretty cool reward slash immunity challenge. Um, the tribes had to carry one by one these 40-pound bags. Um, I've noticed that several of the – even these kinds of, as I've described them, basic survivor challenges have had a very individual element. Like in this one, um, there were five people that were supposed to carry an individual bag of – uh, it says coconuts and sandbags. I just thought it was a bag of heavy stuff. I didn't ever notice what was in it. Um, across a balance beam. And if you aren't able to do it, somebody else has to do it for you. And there have been a couple of examples of that that really ended up affecting the game. Um, Gen X ends up losing largely because Cece was slow and would not let somebody take her bag. But then Paul makes one of the bigger gaps. I- I'm surprised I haven't seen more. Uh, mention in like survivor conversation of how big of a gaffe this was that Paul makes um, because he's leading, not just in the majority alliance, he's leading the majority alliance. Mm-hmm. They have a target in CC, but Paul mentions to a girl that's in his tribe or that's in his alliance. Hey, if, if these guys really ever want to get together and do a guy's thing and get rid of girls, you're, you're on your own or something like that. And oh my goodness, what an absolute idiot. Now that you can maybe and I don't wanna you know I wanna call him sexist, but I mean that is a little bit more like just blatant. Like But I, I don't even understand what why did he think that was gonna work? I I don't I don't know what benefit he saw there, but again I think it goes back to I don't know that his mindset was thinking like that this is the wrong thing to say. And I hate to do this because we just talked about it. Is it is it a is it a Gen X mindset? Is it a mindset where like they aren't even like comprehending that like you know saying this is probably not the right thing for my game. This is something that is socially acceptable. It's not, but I mean, just thinking along those lines, I I, I could be way off base here, and you can tell me if I'm wrong on that. But I I genuinely don't think he realized that what he was saying was wrong. And I don't think – I think what, what you saw from Paul there is he was at the upper reaches of what you can call Gen X. And he was really – he's really more of a different generation than the rest of his tribe. Is, I don't think – He's the oldest. I think anybody else in that tribe would have – even if they thought that. Like I would I – would, uh, maybe I'm misjudging Brett and Chris, and if I am, I apologize. I think either one of them would probably think the same thing. Well, yeah, um – I'm working with these folks right now, but if the other guys, if we can all get together on this, I, I wouldn't mind voting the girls off. But they would never say that to one of the girls. That was yeah. just – that was – His age, I think, is a, is a factor here. And I think you have to realize that that is part of the game. And I will say that, like, in most seasons, when you have an older person on there, they're one of the first people to go. I think this was the one season where it didn't matter that he was one of the older people on the show because everything was based on age. And so I don't think they were thinking along the lines of, oh, you know, he's the old guy. We should get him out. Like, this was the one season he could have been the old guy, and it would have been fine. And, like I said, he was leading the tribe. He was running the show. And I think that eventually bites you. But he had a, he probably had another couple weeks of, you know, a couple episodes, so about a week of their time, of being able to run that that alliance without having any trouble and maybe even get to the merge because he had been established as the clear leader of this alliance and just throws it away on something dumb. I, I yeah, could, I, I I could see think... if, he, if he had said it to one of the guys 
and, I think and, he and makes trap re- swap. I could see it if it had been one of the guys, and uh, he thought that that he still shouldn't have said it. But no, but but told it to the guys is kind of like suggesting to them, hey man, do y'all want to run a guys a lot? And if he makes the mistake of saying that to the wrong guy, and that guy goes, got it. This is how I'm going to get this guy out of here. And he I'll goes and you. talks to the girls. That's less of a mistake than going to a girl and saying, listen, if these guys get their act together, you're gone. I think if you, if you look at it and he goes to David, David's a perfect example. He goes to David. David's running to CC. David's running to, to Jessica. He's going to tell someone. He's going to use that against him. But if he told that to Chris or Brett, I could be misjudging him. You're right. He goes and tells that to Chris or Brett. I have no doubt in my mind. Chris is like, "Heck yeah, brother, let's run it." Yeah, yeah. He just—it <laughs> was just—it was just such an unbelievably bad mistake. And it was kind of fun because we saw two different portions of the tribe working to get, like, working separately, deciding we need to vote Paul out. And it ended up being a big old blindside. But I don't really know that they ever discussed it—that both of these little mini groups were working to get him out. Paul goes home. He gone. Um, it was right, and, and Paul. Paul was he had kind of gotten on my nerves a little bit. Anyway, he is not. Um, he and, would have. I'll be honest. He would have annoyed me within the first couple minutes of being on the island. Yeah. Um, because he got super bossy about how to build the shelter. If you remember in that first yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, like he wasn't even building the shelter. I, I I don't know, man. I just didn't. He he was not my favorite. So I didn't mind that he, he ended up going. Uh, but you're right. I think they mentioned it maybe later on. They were like, huh, I don't know if I've ever seen a move where, like, this, there's, like, three people not working together, and th- these three weren't working together, but we had the same target. Yeah. And, and <laughs> maybe they did get together eventually, but we never saw them all come together and say, hey, so we're voting for him, right? It just kind of worked out that three people over here and three people over here, they were all had the same goal, and he gone. Um, so – um, we we move along, and oh man, this next episode challenges of all time. Absolutely. Uh, there was some shenanigans on the millennial tri- or the Gen X tribe, and and it was just a lot of uh, a lot of just those more survivor blunders where things are told in confidence, and then somebody goes and blabs about the thing that was told in confidence and it really almost ruined some people's games um but and it's one of our where and, and they, they they did play this one it was one of the early challenges and winners at war it might have been the first challenge where there's a there's a life preserver ring out on a pole it's probably you know 20 30 yards off the beach in the mm-hmm. water and then up closer to the beach there's there's another pole and two team uh, each each tribe sends a team of two, and they run out in the water and they get that and they're fighting to get that ring back to the pole and it's just brute strength determination and just physical ability. Um, right. It strips everything down and ironically, Michaela also got stripped down and lost her top in this. Um, and that was awesome, not for like a skeevy. Uh, because I mean it's censored, so even if you even if that's what you're watching Survivor for, you didn't get to see anything. But it's like 
Michaela no, is the badass moment of the season. Oh my gosh! Just call call it what it is. Call it what it is, Jeremy. It is the badass moment of the season. She gets her top ripped off, and like Michaela, if you haven't seen this season, she's not a big girl. She is small. It's she's like she lost that and hulked up immediately. She's like, I'm not fixing to expose myself out here on this island and lose. Michaela, <laughs> the, the millennials lost three to two in this challenge. Three points to two points didn't matter. Both times that they won. Michaela, who is maybe the smallest woman, like as far as like muscle size, she's not very big. She's athletic. She's athletic, but she's just not the kind of, she's not the size person you would expect to be good at this because it's in the water. But she drug three people, three people plus the ring to her pole twice, once after getting her top ripped off. She was just a absolute. Freak in this it was challenge, a mammoth performance, and I really think this is the this is the turning point in the edit for Michaela, because um, you know, look, she's had some funny moments in in the, in the edit up to this point where you're like, ha ha, love Michaela's facial reactions, ha ha, she made a snide remark, or like the I'm gonna stab Biggie, ha <laughs> ha, um, that that is what she had been edited up to until this point. And then she, you see this. And she has and a confessional like, where she's like, I got my top ripped off. And she said, oh, well, I guess they're going to see some tatas today. And yeah, she was like basking in this. And it was at this point that when we started seeing this winner's attitude from her that I didn't ask you, but I named her the queen of the blindside rewind. Um, <laughs> on Twitter, I'm, I did that at blindside rewind. Second. If you're not following us. And I just declared that she's the queen because she. I, I will absolutely second that. The added, uh, because we, we we saw more of it as in the next episode, the 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 attitude. But she found a way to have attitude without having it affect her game. Now, I, early on, I was worried, and we talked about this. I was worried that when we were having those moments where she was talking about stabbing Figgy and and really getting <laughs> emotional about the fact right. that two people in her tribe had a had a showmance. I was worried that like she may have been going too hard, mm-hmm. but she's dialed it back to where like it it adds to her character. Without if I were on the island with her, it wouldn't be grading anymore. And there was a time where it would be, it was it seemed like it would be grading, but now if I'm on her tribe, like I'm loving it. I'm going to war with Michaela, right? You know? Like she makes you want to go to war with her. And look, I think the the thing with with like you said, she kind of it becomes this winner's attitude that she has. It's just, it's infectious. You want to be a part of her tribe. She is an absolute beast. Like I just, I don't know how else to describe it. And I think it's a scenario and a moment in the season where you're looking and you're like, yep, that is, that is a survivor legend in the making. Like whether she wins or loses, like she is going to go down as one of the great players of the game. Um, or at least as one of the more iconic players of the game, she really showed herself, her personality. And look, I think that in a lot of ways, Jeremy, correct me if I'm wrong. We're both kind of like smart ass guys where, you know, we, we've got a little bit of attitude to us. I relate to that. Like, I, like if you, you, you've worked with me in the past. So like, you've probably seen it. My face tells everything you need to know about what I'm thinking. Yeah. If somebody says something, my face is going to my face is going to tell you everything you need to know. Michaela's the exact same way. And to some degree, she's kind of blunt. I'm there are times where I can be a little blunt. 
we only worked together for like two months, and by the end of that summer, I feel like we had a couple conversations just with facial expressions. Yeah, so one hundred percent. And look, I, I, I've still, I've got a, I've got a work friend that you've also worked with, uh, Laura Corley. Um, we worked together for, I guess, like six or seven months after when I returned to the newspaper. We would have full out conversations with our facial expressions for like thirty minutes. Just back and forth. Like, that's all we did. We used our face. Um, I knew what she was thinking. I, she knew what I was thinking. Or, like, we'd look at each other. Next thing I know, we were texting back and forth for, for an hour. Because, like, we had already had this whole conversation with our face. And so, Michaela is a lot of the same way. And so, I think in some ways, I just relate to Michaela. That's yeah. my attitude. That's And another thing that she talks about, and I think this is in the in the episode after this, but she talked about why she's playing this game. Um, and it's for some great reasons where like, she's never really had anything. She's had to work to get, put herself through school and, you know, she's had to grind for her family. I relate to that in a lot of ways. Like that is partially part of my story too. Like that's, that's, I've had to grind for everything I've ever gotten. Um, and this is just coming from just strictly speaking in terms of, you know, not really coming from a whole lot getting myself through school, working two or three jobs and an internship all at the same time to make ends meet, sending, you know, money back home to help my family if they needed it. That kind of story resonates with me really well. And so I think for Michaela, like hearing that part of it, watching her attitude play out, she's just one of my all-time favorite survivors. And I'm so glad you've decided that she's the queen of Blindside Rewind. She is. I decided it. I put it on Twitter. I have tweeted at her multiple times because I want her to know that she's the queen. I don't even know how much she uses Twitter. She doesn't. She hasn't used it since 2019, so we're not going to hear back from her. That's okay. But if somehow anybody who listens to this has any connections with Michaela, they need to let her know that she's our queen, and we care deeply about her success in life. So that's all. Uh, but we'll talk more about her because I've, I've kind of set this up that we're walking through the episodes, but we have more to say about Michaela because there's another fun moment um, coming up. So um, millennials also win um, the immunity challenge there. And it's, it's, it's another, it's fun. It's hard to describe. It's a survivor immunity challenge. There's lots of moving pieces. Literally there's a pulley and like you're pulling people up and down I love it's, a fun, it's fun to watch. It's just real hard to describe. You basically, um, there's, there's 30 cards. You, you have to do, you do, you do the obstacle course for each person has to go through an obstacle course. You get on this like pulley seat, three tribe members pull you up and you have to pick out these 30 cards in order. Each of those cards contains a, a, a puzzle piece that makes up a word puzzle. And you're doing it in increments of 10. So three different people have to go. When they come down, they get down. And, and the reason I'm wanting to go into this and why I'm describing it in detail is because it was a great moment for the millennials. Um, basically, Gen X storms out to a league because they've got some bigger people. Um, they're, you know, like I think that Chris's height really helped him because they were only really having to pull him up to like the second tier because he could reach to that third tier of, of cards because he's so tall. The millennials didn't really have that option. They, they had to go all the way up to that next row. And so Gen X gets out of this big lead. They get down. They start putting the puzzle together. Uh, Gen X does. Millennials come. They don't put the puzzle together immediately. They just put lay out the letters. 
and coming up with phrases that may work for 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 what it is. All of a sudden, it clicks. With I think it was Zeke. He's like, somebody's going to lose their flame tonight, and they get it just right off, and they're able to win it, win immunity. And I told you then, I thought that was a huge immunity win. It was, and and it really set up some some fractures in the Gen X, and it set up. Um, we talk about the you know the turn and the edit for. Michaela, but we really are starting to see a turn in the edit for for David, who we both like. Uh, David ha- had gotten an immunity idol, I believe, last episode or two episodes ago. Um, David had secured his immunity idol, but um, David and Ken try to convince Jessica that listen. Um, they're trying to get you out, and Lucy's the one that's targeting you, and it doesn't work. But David goes boldly into tribal council. I don't know how any other way to say it, knowing that the, that the majority alliance had turned on Jessica, knowing that Jessica was not listening to, to Ken, and he plays his idol on Jessica. And, and it's kind of it's, it's kind of a risky move because he knows it's going to work because he knows they're all voting for Jessica. Jessica's voting for somebody else. It turns out it was Cece because that's who her alliance had told her they were voting for. And he knows that he and Ken have voted for um, Lucy because mm-hmm. Lucy has started kind of running the show the way Paul was. Well, so I'm and it's risky because, yeah, I mean, it works. He gains an ally and somebody who's going to be a ride or die. But, like, everybody else wanted her out. But I'm going to tell you something, Jeremy. Not only does he get a ride or die, I, I think you can make the argument that this is the single biggest move of the season. And if it's not the biggest move of the season, it sets up the biggest move of the season later on down the line. And I won't spoil that for you because I think it's one of the greatest moments that I've personally watched in Survivor history. But he he has made Jessica a absolute warrior slash soldier for him. Um, because what he's done is he's thrown his game out on the line for her. And when you throw your game out on the line for somebody, it goes one of two ways. <coughs> um, it goes one of two ways. Either you've just gained somebody that's going to be willing to throw their game on the line for you, or you screwed yourself and you're probably going home soon. It is one of my favorite moments when he plays that idol because, one, it, it, it absolutely shocks Chris and Brett because they look at, at, at this this guy as, like, somebody one that they can bully. And I'll just say it now. I think that throughout the season as we watch, I think Chris and Brett felt like they could bully David. Um, they treated him pretty poorly through the first few episodes. Um, it only gets worse, in my opinion. Um, and... That move there was almost like a him standing up to the bullies moment in a lot of ways, um, because it was showing that they are they aren't running the game like they think they are. That it's it, it can be the little guy's game. It can be the neurotic, as he calls himself, guy's game. It, it's it's David's game at this point. This is the moment where it turned into David is playing the best game of anybody on this island. Yeah, and I tell you, I, I've noticed, and he may have mentioned it, but 
he's completely turned. And I'm not saying he's not still scared of his own shadow because maybe he is, but he seems so more comfortable and so much more confident right now. And it, and it gets even better because he plays that, that idol for Jessica. <laughs> she confirms that the two that, that she, she owes Ken and she owes David. She confirms that. And then the whole tribe realizes that idols back out. But because of the way, and I told you in our in our when we were chatting while we were watching this episode, I love that what they've done. Um, I, I I really like the way they handled idols at this point because um, they've settled into the, what we now know of the tradition is that each each camp has an idol and it's hidden, and when somebody finds it and when it gets played, it goes back out. But David found it based on clues, and we've seen Adam has has gotten a clue. To, to find the idol on, on the millennial side. And uh, he actually had, he's actually found it by now. Um, and that, and that was a good moment. I know you want to talk about, um, did he yeah. find it? Has he found it yet? I, I, David I, finds it in the next episode, right? Right after the vote out of, yeah, I'm Lucy. trying to find where, where Adam finds his. When did he find his, was it this episode or the episode after? Well, we've moved into the last episode that we watched. So yeah, I can't um, remember which episode. Yeah, Adam, Adam actually found it um, during the last episode, and, and I'll let you talk about that in a second. But I thought it was so cool that David, because he found the first idol, he knew what it he knew what it looked like. He knew that uh, that what he was looking for was their tribe symbol. That somewhere mm-hmm. in the woods there would be their tribe symbol. And he was able to find it. I prefer that system so much better than what we have now because you have the same. I like immunity idols. I like them. People going to find them, but it 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 eliminates some of that. Oh, uh, Devin's just found all those idols because production. really production was hiding them where he could find them. Same thing with Ben. You know, we hear that now because the idol is just like laying in a tree stump. And it happens to be wherever the person that needs it most. I felt the same way about Natalie when she found it in Winners at War. I was like, oh, well, that was real convenient. Um, Right. But I think what you like causation and correlation wise, like the causation isn't that production did it. It's the that I mean, it's the it's the causation is that the person that's looking for it the most is more likely to find it. Right. right, but I think in this situation, because of this, the way they stop, edited, yeah, this stops that that it, argument. It eliminates it because you don't have to do any storytelling. David can just David. Well, David can say it. I knew how to find it because I had been given a clue before. I found it. I knew that I was looking for the tribe symbol, so that's what I was looking for in the woods. I found the tribe symbol. <laughs> I funny. Like, Sunday sits there and looks at it. Looks in the tree, sees the little stump, doesn't even pay attention to it. Walks off. Yeah, yeah. So I, I like that. Like it does set up that you have a person who goes on an idol run and always finds the idols, but there's a reason, and you can mm-hmm. tell, and, and it's an expressible reason. It's not just uh, well, because you know to, to use the example of Natalie and Winters at War, everybody was out in the woods looking at that point. Well, and something you like you have to keep in mind is that before season nineteen uh, with. At 19, yeah, 19 with Russell. Nobody had ever found an idol without a clue. Like that had never happened before. Russell goes into that season, and we'll watch his season eventually because you got to watch him in action. Russell realizes, like, oh, you know, 
I think they start, they put these things in landmarks. They put it in places where like, this is where things would go. And so I think that's kind of the situation you, you get into. You get into here is that um, Russell, Russell, when he was looking for him, he looked for landmarks. So like he knew what, try to just try to find them before he ever got the clue. The same thing goes here. David knew what he was looking for. It's kind of like a landmark type thing. It, it's very similar. I think that we've kind of got burnout on people finding it the way that Russell was able to find them. But it's not the, it's not necessarily that those people are doing it any other way. It, it's just the way it works. So, um, based on the clues, though, David was able to find the first title because of what he knew from that search, he found the second idol, even with an open, um, open idol search. Everybody was searching. David was able right. to find it. Uh, and, and that's big. And meanwhile, on the other beach, Adam had gotten a clue. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember how he found that clue. Um, Adam, I had, think it was very similar to the way that you would find a normal yeah, a normal idol in a normal. He, he he was out. He on just went circle. out looking. He went out looking, and what he found was a, a clue instead of an idol. And and, and he found that idol. And, and Justin, I know this moment was huge for you. It was to me knowing what I know from the future. It's it's a huge. It, it's the biggest moment. It, it's one of the bigger defining moments of Adam's season. Yeah, and so he 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 breaks down after he finds the idol. Um, you know, he and his mom were super close. Uh, they bonded over Survivor. Um, right before he went out, uh, or she, she, she has cancer at this point. Um, and it's, it's pretty much terminal. Uh, and it's a situation, you know, I, I've lost a parent. Um, I, I know what that's like. I've been through that pain. Um, but I can't imagine going out on an island like that not knowing if your parent's going to be alive when you come back home. Yeah. I just, I, I, I can't imagine that. Um, but it was a situation where I think that they had actually applied to go on blood versus water together and they were either cast or they, 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 they there was something where they thought they were going to get cast. There was something along those lines. I know they applied to play together um, for blood versus water. Like that's how big a super fan they were together. Um, and so he gets this idol and that's when he reveals to us what, what the battle is that his mom, that it's ongoing, um, that she's got, she's got cancer and he doesn't know, you know, kind of what's going to happen. Um, and I don't know if this spoils it a little bit, but, and I may have already told you cause we've talked before. Yeah. Um, she ends up passing away shortly after he gets home after winning. Well, he doesn't know that he's won yet, I guess. Um, but shortly after getting home from survivor, um, she passes away like within hours of him arriving. Uh, he he's always I think he's mentioned it in interviews after, is he felt like she waited on him. Um, and man, I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm a grown ass man, but I cried so hard the first time I watched it, and I cried really hard last night when I was watching it again, because and look, I think that often Survivor hits on these themes and hits on um, real life stuff. That's one of the things I love about the show 
is that it hits on real life things. It, it hits on your emotions sometimes. It you you know you can sit there and you can laugh um, when you watch this show. There are times where it's going to make you cry. Um, and I know I watched this actually the first time uh, with my mom. Me and my mom started watching Survivor um, not too long after my dad passed away. Um, and you know there was a time right after my dad passed where. I didn't want to be around people. I didn't, I didn't hang out with my mom. I didn't talk to anybody. I just came home, went to bed. That was about it. My social interaction was saying, you know, Hey, I'm eating this for dinner. I'll talk to y'all later. That was my social interaction. Um, then, you know, Rick Devins goes on survivor. He plays, I decide to rewatch it. Um, and my mom starts watching it with me and that pulled me out of a very dark place. If I'm being honest, like survivor pulled me out of that dark place. Um, and it gave me my relationship with my mom back. And so when we watched this the first time through, I mean, we were both sitting there looking at each other in tears, watching Adam find this idol. Um, that, that's how big of a moment this was for me personally. Uh, and I don't mind sharing that story with our listeners, um, and with you, because I think that's, it's so important to realize that like, yes, he wins and that's phenomenal, but this was much bigger than survivor. This moment was much bigger than the game of survivor. This is a man who is is dealing with one of the most, you know, potentially traumatic events of his life that's ongoing at this time. Um, and, it, you know, it was special for my mom to watch because, you know, her, her dad passed away with cancer. Um, and so I think it hit on a lot of things for us emotionally in our household. Um, and even watching it back last night, I, I had the same exact feelings. It was like I was watching it again. And so I won't spend too much more time on it, but I... I I think that outside of the game and survivor, this was a big moment inside the game. I think it ends up being a pretty big moment for him too, um, because it gives him a big advantage in the game. Uh, one, I think he ends up is going to need. Um, and I also think that it's, you know, one of those situations where, um, you know, he's just coming off of a, a situation where he's not necessarily in the greatest position on his tribe. Um, and he, he kind of needed it. Um, so I think that was, that was a big moment. I, I, I'll let you kind of give your take on it as well. Well, and I think it's one of those, what's cool about watching, um, uh, these later seasons. And, and it's one of the things that I've been critical of on this podcast is, you know, you have these super fans that come out there and they've got their checklist. And it doesn't always make sense. You know, they want to do a blindside, not because a blindside's a good idea, but because, like, they've seen them on TV and they want to do one. Mm -hmm. Um, But in this case, it adds so much to this moment that finding an immunity idol on Survivor has become your first NFL touchdown. It's become, maybe not to the larger public, but, like, that's how Survivor fans see it, is that if I go on Survivor, I want to find an idol. And That's we your first see hit, first hit in Major League Baseball. Yeah, you want to you want to keep that ball forever, right? It's it's <laughs> that, and and you see that. I mean, we've seen. I forget. I want to say it was at Aubrey that didn't find one her first time playing, and then found one on Edge of Extinction. Is that right? She played twice through. She played Game Changers, and she played uh, Karong. I don't know if she found one on either one of those seasons, so you may be right. There was someone like that in recent years. I that, think that, you're probably right because Wentworth had found it. 
There was somebody in recent seasons that had not found one her her first time. I want to say it was a female had not found one her first time through, and it was yeah. even without all the emotion of what Adam was going through, she got a little emotional of right. having. And so, as as lame as I think it is when these people come on the island and they they have their check boxes that because they're a super fan they want to do a blindside, they want to find an idol, they want to win individual immunity, um, they want to do this, this, this. I think that as special as this moment with Adam was, if we have this exact same moment, but it's season five, season eight, it doesn't have the same emotion because finding an idol is not, but it's not something that was that important at that point. By season 33, it carries so much meaning. And the other thing that I wanted to get to with this is I, I see fans that when they talk about, uh, the the family the loved one visit, mm-hmm. they're very critical of the loved one visit. And oh, you've only been apart for such and such days. You how how bad could it be? Well, first of all, you got somebody like Adam who's dealing with. He doesn't know if his mom's alive. Yeah, he can well, assume that if she died, somebody would get word to CBS and they would. Uh, that, that, that something would happen, but, but maybe but that's not. not the case. They may want to keep him. That, yeah, that's not always the case. They may want, not want him to know, right? So that he continues to play and get play his heart out. Um, right. and, and and knowing how close she came, let me ask you this here, Jeremy, because you bring up a great point, and and you and I have talked at length. I love the family one, loved one visit. It doesn't bug me one bit, because I'll ask you this: if if you if you went on a show like this. And that's especially for somebody like Adam who ends up going all 39 days. Would you trade that, you know, 39 days back to have one more day with your mom? I think you'd say you'd take the one day with your mom. Yeah. And so I think that when you look at this loved one visit and you are critical of it, you have to understand that this person in Adam has given up the last 39 days of life that he could have had with his mom. That's what he's given up. Yeah. That's what he gave up to be on the show. Um, and so I think, because that's it. She lived, she lived into the, the 40th day and she dies. I mean, that's, that's, that's the cold reality of it is well, that she dies when he gets home. And so like he gave up 39 days that he can never get back. And so when you get mad for the 20, you know, the 10 to 20 minutes of them showing them hugging and, and talking about how emotional that is, Think back to Adam. Think back to what he's given up to be on this show. And look, he may not trade it, not because he won, but because that's what his mom would have wanted him to go do because they were such big fans of the show. But that that's beside the point. Like you, I enjoy those loved one visits because it does show you that those 10 to 15 to 20 to 25 to 30 to 39 days that you're out there without your loved one, it takes a toll because mentally in that game, you can't trust a single soul out there. And then all of a sudden, somebody shows up on that island that you can talk to, and you can trust unconditionally. That's and especially, and especially, huge. I really loved uh, the way they did it for Winners at War. And mm-hmm. folks were like, even scoffing at those. And I'm like, hold on, like when you have especially smaller kids, 39 days—that's like a new. I've I've been without my kids for a weekend before, and mm-hmm. when I, and when I get them back, I'm like. Are you five inches? Yeah. Are you five inches taller? You know, right. I, I've been away from a kid, especially when they're learning to talk. We're like, 
you're away for you know three or four days for a for a cruise. My wife and I have gone on cruises, or um, I've I've been doing a project with church, and my kids go stay with my parents, and they come back, and all of a sudden I'm like, you didn't know that word when you left, and so imagine you're 30 days into this experience, mm-hmm. and and you get to, and so I I love the loved one visits, and I think most do I think that there are I'm not naive enough to say that no one has ever faked up the emotion to get oh, kind of, they have. you know, to, to get kind of the, the play. I, well, Johnny Fairplay lied about his grandmother dying to be able to go on a, the reward after the loved one visit and I, with and his I buddy. Even, and I'm not even saying it, it, anything that dramatic. I'm just talking, you know, right. people who maybe, who maybe play up that, uh, how excited they are to see their, their sister, yeah. you know, but I do. I enjoy that emotion, and I, I think that moment from Adam just kind of drives home exactly what these people are doing, um, and and just how big it is to be away for thirty nine days. Because let's face it, how many of these people have the thought, even if it's irrational, what if what if one of my lo- what if one of my family members has died while I'm out here, and nobody thought to call CBS, nobody tried, everybody just decided, you know what, he would want to just keep playing, and we'll tell him when he gets back. We don't know when he's going to get back. He can get back tomorrow anyway. He can give, you know. The, well, they may have agreed on it before he even left that if yeah. something were to happen, but don't even, contact me. Even people that don't have that that looming situation of a terminal illness, they yeah. have they have to be thinking all the time. What if one of my loved ones just got sick today? What if one of my loved ones just got in a car accident well, and I'm I, and I'm I, thousands I, of miles away? I tell you, we're living in a time now with COVID. I mean. Big Brother starts, and I know you don't care about the Big Brother starts in like a week or so. Um, those house guests are going to have to worry for those 99 days, which is a much longer period, for 99 days whether or not one of their loved ones are going to die. And like uh, potentially of COVID. Um, I remember, like, and, I, and I've told this on the show before, is I'm a big Big Brother fan. Um, I watched season 15 or 16. Uh, <laughs> And Frankie Grande, which is Ariana Grande's brother, is on, on one of the seasons. Their grandfather dies in the middle of the show. They do get word to CV, CBS. He decides to stay um, on the show, even though it's, you know. But that's a big emotional moment for him on that show. And so, like, it is, that is the reality of it, is that somebody can pass anytime you're on the show. And it can either end your time there or it can create a, a, a looming thing over your mind. Like you're constantly thinking about it. There's just so much to it. And 39 days don't seem so long until something like that happens. Yep. I mean, just a, just a cold, hard reality of it. That, that is the way it is, is that 39 days doesn't seem too long, except for when you find out that somebody's passed in the middle of it and you, you're never going to get that time back with them. Um, and it's sad and it's, it's, a uh, it, it makes me appreciate those loved one visits a little more. Like it makes me realize that like, if I went out there for 39 days, I'll be honest, I'm, I would be a nervous wreck. Like that would be, that would be something on my mind. That's the type of person I am. I'm a worrier. Um, so I would be, and I know there are people like me that go on the show. Um, and so I know there will be some worries there. So yeah, I think that, I think you're right. I think it goes it, it, even from a show perspective, I think you're right that, that those loved one visits do matter more. And somebody like Adam is a great reminder of that. Yeah. So 
to jump back into the gameplay. There's really no way to like segue from that <laughs> right back. So I'm just going to do a hard cut. I'm not going to actually cut, but we're going to hard jump and just jump right back in uh, because uh, that does sort of segue. Adam now has an idol. David has an idol. And then they get the, the three words that either strike joy or fear into every player. Drop your buffs. Mm-hmm. And that seems like an illogical sentence. If you're listening, if you're whatever, 45 minutes into this episode, <laughs> into the eighth episode, and you don't know what that phrase means, for Survivor, that means you're either swapping tribes, merging tribes, switching tribes, adding a tribe, something's happened. In this case, we're going to three tribes. Um, and the breakdown is, is exactly what you would expect. A couple of the tribes have a millennial advantage. One of the tribes has a Gen X advantage. Uh, the specifics are not... Uh, too important other than one big key one is that Taylor and Figgy stay together, which would suggest to me that even though I watched them draw these uh, buffs blind, that's the one if I want to say Survivor is rigged, that's the evidence of there's <laughs> okay. <laughs> the the two that were in a showmance got to stay on the same tribe. Um, but it's interesting, and, and, and I've got a lot, there was something larger we were going to talk about with the three tribe mix. Um, but when they go to the third, the three tribes and Taylor and Figgy are together and they're on a tribe, it's the two of them and Adam with, uh, Jessica and Ken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Basically, basically Adam is in between two pairs. Yeah. Yeah. Because Jessica and Ken, Jessica has, has pledged her allegiance to Ken after, uh, he and David, because Ken, even at tribal, uh, Jessica said, so what you're telling me is this, 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 and this. And she outlined the absolute truth. And Ken said, yes, that is absolutely what I'm trying to tell you. And it ended up being the truth. So she pledged her allegiance to him. Uh, Figgy and Taylor are of course, Romeo and Juliet at this point. Um, they are, uh, deeply and madly in love, it seems. And Adam is in between those two pairs. But while Taylor it wants to be out in the open with this thing. And he's like, well, we've got the advantage. There's three of us and two of them. Figgy. Let's just make it out right let, here. Let's just make it. Figgy has set it up to where she is not having it. She tells him, no, you are not going to touch me. You are not. This is not going to be something that's out. In the We're open. not doing she, this again. She has learned that they're very lucky and they don't have Jay well, and Michelle to save their but, tails this time. Let me tell you a thing on that though is, Figgy realizes that the first time Taylor wasn't the one that sent home because of the showman. It was her. Right. That's the difference. I mean, that's the, that's the difference is that Taylor wasn't thinking about, Oh, Taylor might go home because of the showman. No, Figgy's having to be the one to think, Oh, if I don't behave a certain way, I'm the one that's going to go home. Let me tell you, (laughs) even if it had been Taylor, that was the one that was going to go home. Figgy would have still had to be doing the thinking because Taylor ain't doing a whole lot of thinking. There's just thinking is not in Taylor's game. Uh, I'm not sure what's in Taylor's game. He's kind of a big dude, and so that works out for him, sort of. Uh, I, I but guess. I, look, I don't know what he has going. Anyway, uh, I'm he's not got, even mean. He's got great eyes. That's Figgy told his us. His hair is pretty cool. Um, it, is it? Is it? I, look, man, for a guy that's that's 25 and balding, I would take his hair any day of the week. Well, I mean, yeah, but as, <laughs> as hair goes, I think his is pretty average. Uh, well, if you've if you've if you've got hair, 
you you've got. Me, I don't I don't have that. I don't <laughs> yeah. have that luxury in life. I mean, <laughs> not everybody can have the 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 mane that I can grow. So yeah, like I'm I'm losing my hair at an exponential rate, and it's not just for me pulling it out from from work and and other things, but. Like, I mean, yeah. he, he at least is not balding. Let's say that. Yeah. So Taylor has hair. He has great <laughs> eyes. Not the smartest dude. Um, but so that was interesting. And I posed a question for that specific thing. And I'll get you to weigh in on this because you, yeah, Adam has a choice to make. He can stick with the easy route of sticking with those two who you know. And that's the other thing. You know both of these pairs are rock solid. Whichever pair you choose to go with, as long as you're in that little mini tribe, you are safe. Adam knows he's safe is the fun part because either of those two duos needs him to kick out the other two. So They need him to kick out one. I don't know that that Figgy and, and, and Taylor would have been loyal to him if, if he gets down to him versus Ken or him versus Jessica. Right. But I think I, they start thinking ahead. Yeah. Well, never but, mind. Exactly. So, <laughs> but I think, think he may think ahead. Adam has the choice. He can just blow up and he doesn't have to do it huge. And, and to our, and to at least at this point through episode, the end of episode five, he hasn't done it yet. He could have easily told Ken and Jessica, hey, they're trying to hide it from you, but... They're basically dating. They're basically dating. They were making out on her old tribe. So far, he chose not to do that, but that's such a weapon for him to have in his hand. He doesn't use it. So that's just an interesting thing that that I thought. But more in in general, how do you feel about going from... Because at this point, we were at 16 people, and they went from... It's a weird spot to do it, too, because you could have waited one more tribal council and had three tribes of five. They did it at uh, 16, so you had two tribes of five and a tribe of six. The tribe of six was the one that went to a new beach where there was no a new N.E.W., not nude, beach, where there was no <laughs> fire, no shelter, none of that. Uh, they did it so that Figgy and, and, and Taylor could stay together. I think so. I, I do. I think that's the the sole reason was to keep the showmance alive. Got to keep, uh, you got to keep it showmantic up in here, baby. <laughs> um, um, how, how do you how do you feel about the three tribe split? I, I'm I, I'm not. I've, I've seen it twice that I know of. Yeah. Have we seen it in any other seasons that we've? Watched? I don't remember. Well, I mean, Kagiyan they start out with three. Yeah, they start out with three, and and that's an interesting enough dynamic. But I just. Uh, but no, I think when the other one was Edge, we saw it split to three. Um, yeah, and there's a couple other times like this is well, the only at, two times. So Edge did go to three, and the winners at War went to three. So I've okay. seen it a lot. Um, okay, so but but Edge specifically, I remember better, I guess, because um, I forgot. I guess winners at War did go to three, but specifically with Edge, I hated it because that's that got my boy Rick Devins voted out. Uh, and and it seems like every time they go to this, you somebody that's maybe a potential uh, winner gets absolutely hosed by the by the draw. Um, somebody that has their game going fantastic for them gets absolutely uh, just mollywopped by this 
by this tribe. So, I, so I'm not a huge fan of the three tribes. Um, well, and for because me- I think it it gets to a point where like three votes gets you voted out. Um, in in at least two of those three tribes. And and for me, if you if you watch Survivor very long, you know that it, it, it's a, an interesting combination of factors because one, like you said. Three votes gets you out. In any of these tribes, three votes. Maybe on the the tribe that has six people, it wouldn't get you out. But for the most part, if you have if three votes against you, gets you voted out. And everybody knows that the merge is coming soon. So, yeah, so you've got all you these. Don't... You don't have to make long term alliances. You don't. You can do like if you're Adam, for instance, you can play with this side one night and this side the next night, and it doesn't burn you because. The people you're sending home, see, any the, the, the other time that you're down to that few people, you have to be careful because both of the – anybody that you vote out is going to the jury. At this point, you don't have to even be careful because the people you're voting out well, aren't coming back. So, and the other time – I guess the only other time is if, if, if your team is getting railroaded um, in the, in the two-tribe system. Yeah. Your team is getting railroaded. You don't want to get rid of a, a great – uh, uh, asset to your team, like a, a Joe. He, of course, his teams are never going to get railroaded um, in the in the in the immunity challenges. But think of somebody like Joe, where he benefits from it being two um, tribes all the way up until the merge. Because with Joe, his tribe's probably going to win immunity. But let's say it splits off to three, his tribe loses immunity. That that tribe is not necessarily loyal to who can win them immunity. Um, because they yeah, because they may not have to come back again. They know that just any time. Perfect example of this is winners at war. It was the right move. Rob brought, Boston Rob brought it on himself by trying to do the buddy system with former winners. But oh that gosh. that tribe he was on didn't have to worry about it. One because they had they had been on that tribe, um, and then they had uh, was it Sarah and Sophie were the two girls. Yeah. Um. Who are both decent and you know pretty good at, at, at immunity and Adam's not bad. Sarah, Sarah specifically. Sarah, is... Sarah's Sarah's good, and so. Right. But on top of that, they knew. Listen, we don't have to worry about the fact that we might need Rob for challenges because we don't have that many challenges left anyway. Um, before we're gonna merge, and so I really just think it it changes the strategy too much. Um. I like it better than if, if they're going to do some three tribe and then, and also some two tribe. I like it better with, like Kageon where they start with three tribes and, and then narrow and then narrow it to two and then merge to one. I, I think that makes more sense. First of all, because, it makes sense. I, I like I like order with things, Jeremy. Yeah, I like when it goes three two one instead of oh let's go two three one. That's yeah. a fun time. No, that's not fun for me. That that gets my my brain all out of whack. I because the, and, it, and it's order. not and it's not just an order thing. It's a it, it's a build to the story because yeah. um you 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 start with like in Kageon, for instance, you start with six people in a tribe, and then you narrow it down to, to down to five, and then and then you have the one the brains are just getting mollywopped. So you get down to I think they merged to two tribes that like fourteen people or something like that, um, and and so you go from. Uh, three votes being needed to win. Now you're back up to four votes, but it still feels like about the same kind of strategy. And then you get to the merge, and now you need six votes again, and and then it narrows down. When you've got this uh, two tribes down to three, you go from 
all right, you need at least five votes, and now you need at least four votes, and now you need, oh gosh, now you only need three. And then you're going to go to a merge, and it's going to balloon back up Mm -hmm. to where you need six. And it just makes this stilted, like, it creates this, and you and I have sort of mentioned it, where um, long-term alliances don't matter anymore. Um, and And it worsens that because you don't need to build relationships because uh, you you get to a situation like in these smaller tribes and we see it here where cc goes home where it was just kind of the easy vote uh she hadn't been doing well in tribals there was some discussion um about other people but in the end it just became the easy vote for a tribe that had um cc chris david michelle and zeke uh, Chris and David kind of bonded a little bit. Zeke had joined with Chris. Michelle is look is the is looking not to get voted off. So when they pose Cece, she's like, "Yes, absolutely, let's do that," uh, because it's not her. And well, I think Zeke was very much in the in the thing of like, we can get a Gen Xer out of this tribe. Yeah. And keep our millennials while I build a relationship and a bridge over to Gen X without my tribe really realizing it because they're just going to look at it as, oh, you know, Zeke is just doing what he has to do to get his get us to the to the merge. In, in way, reality, he, he's built that bridge. And to tie this back to something we were talking about this earlier, they kind of killed their own production here because... I think if you don't have the three-team, what is this even called? An expansion, a, a merge, a swap. What's what is this? It's I don't a know. tribe swap. I think that's what they call it. They call it a tribe swap, but sort of is it? I don't sort know. Of, I don't know. And, we'll, and so, we'll just we'll go with whatever they call it. But what? But <laughs> because you have this, it nullifies those relationships that could have been built from the summit. If you right. go straight from two tribes. And you get down to 11 or 12 people left and you do a straight merge. Now the only relationships these people have are the ones who went to the summit. Now the downside of that is maybe their tribe mates target them. Especially if you saw Paul's already gone from the summit. Um, Let's see. Let's go back and grab that. Uh, Yeah. So Paul's already gone from the summit. And... CC's about to go, but it, especially if you had a situation where you get to the merge and there's only five people left from well, the, the summit, you know, th- it could it could get them the targeted. Too, is if if they had explained to us in these episodes, well, like the reason Paul is going is because he went to the summit. It's because we think he made inroads. Okay, that makes sense. We want CC to go because we think she made inroads at that summit with some of the people that makes sense, but we don't get that. It's just, these are the two people that just make sense to go. It has nothing to do with the fact that they went to the summit. And I think part of you're right. It kind of ruined. And I like that idea, by the way, let me just say, I think the summit idea is good. Yeah. But it's, if you're going to do a tribe swap before the merge, it's not because it, it, it takes that. It, it becomes one piece of strategy too much for people to keep track of. Honestly, I don't even think the players out there can keep track of, all right, so I want to tribe with David and David and who was at the summit? Was David at the summit? Was Will there? I don't. I don't know if Will was Will there. You know, and and, yeah. and it starts to become one of those. The only people who know for sure who was there from both tribes are the ones who were there, the and there. they're not going to tell you. 
you know, if you're coming up, Hey, who was, who was at that summit with you? Just wondering, like, that's, you're not going to be able to glean that information. And so I, I think if, but even at that point, I think that they realized the players that went, they probably realized that like those relationships are kind of moot at this point too. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, because I, the, there's not, and, and I think, I'm thinking, about pre-merge you know easy votes I guess is what you call them yeah so it's just it's one of those I think if they were going to do the summit they shouldn't do the three tribe business and if they were going to do the three tribe business they shouldn't do the summit I I think having both of them um I tell you what would be kind of cool, and I just kind of kind of hit me, is that they have the little summit, and at the summit they open up a, an envelope, and it reveals that that's the new tribe, that the, the summit is the tribe swap. Yeah, um, I think that that would, that would immediately at the tribe, and I think there, I think that's where it becomes a little more fun. And I you could even you, you could you, even you. borrow some elements that we've seen from some of the other seasons we've watched, and maybe when you do the summit, you um, do like one of those blind surveys, and you find a way. And I I, I, I would want to hone this, but you find a way to basically get the four people from each tribe that are most wanted out. Oh yeah, yeah, make you know? a form like a. Yeah, make them form an, well, and I know they've they've done the an outcast tribe in the past, but kind of along those lines, where those outcasts were just voted out of the games, and they became the outcast tribe. This would be like a you you vote the the four from each tribe that are least favorite, and they go directly to make that third tribe. That could be fun. Yeah, there are ways to do this where it works out better than what they did. It's basically yeah, but- what I'm trying to get at. Because I mean, I, I'm I'm be honest. We watched three episodes, um, f- for this recording, and the summit was the first one. And I, I don't for- remember the summit. I forgot it happened until I was looking back through the recaps yep. to kind of just refresh myself for this episode. Yeah, completely completely forgot the summit happened. And that's, wasn't going to say that earlier, but yeah, you're right. I, that, I don't remember it happening. And, and I, I remember like, it now, but it, I vaguely, like I vaguely remember them sitting around and, and eating and passing things around, but like I don't remember it in the moment. I didn't remember it in the moment. I guess is what I'm, I'm saying is, but like I don't remember it happening because there were so many more moments after that that were just bigger and stood out more and then then the summit just gets nullified so it didn't matter and one one of those moments that we 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 went past but i promised we would have more michaela content and i'm gonna make good on that promise when jeff reveals (laughs) because he sets it up well like he really sets it up that like okay so if you get i think it's orange you're going back to the millennial beach and if you get purple you're going back to the gen x beach if you get green uh you get an extra person but it's a new beach and there's no Obviously, no shelter and no fire and all this stuff. And Michaela opens her buff. It's green. She throws it on the ground. She's mad. Jeff talks about how she's mad. She kind of contains it. I mean, she's obvious because of her face, but, like, she doesn't blow up. She doesn't, you know, really wreck her game. And then in the confessional, she's like, I wanted to flick him off right there, but I didn't. 
And it was just... It's so funny because... Same, Michaela. Same. I feel that. I felt that. Um, as the millennials say today. Um, yeah. I felt that. That hit. Yeah. Uh, that hit different. Um, <laughs> yeah, it did. Because, you know, I mean, we would all feel that same way. Like, he's just told you, like, green sucks. You don't want to be green. And she is right. one of the first to get hers unwrapped, and it's green, and she just spikes it. She's like, what in the world? But then we get another cool moment from her. And and this is kind of what we can wrap the show, because we've already talked about Cece went home after this episode. She kind of needed to. She was the weakest link on the tribe. Um, right. But they go back to camp, and this is where we get that that confessional from where she talks about having to work for everything. Because they go to a new camp. Jay, who they've already talked about, like the, the Gen Xers are really impressed with Jay. This is where the theme kind of comes back because the Gen Xers see Jay. He's like long-haired surfer dude, whatever, bro. And But he knows how to do everything. He knows, he knows how to do everything. He knows how to build the shelter. He's, he's assertive. He builds it. But he can't get a fire going. And mm-hmm. he is frustrated. He's using the machete, which you and I are both. We confided in each other that we are terrified. Anytime they're using the machete to make fire, I'm worried that somebody's going to cut them off, and it really bothers me. I would not be worried about myself in that situation. When I see somebody else on television doing it, I'm, like, tensing up. But, I don't know about you. I, I, well, I would be worried about me. I'm clumsy. I actually have a scar on my finger where I was trying to open up a pork loin in a package, and I, I was using a fillet knife because I'm an idiot, and I filleted right into my finger. I'd know if I had a machete, it'd be all over. My no, like, I'm not saying off. that I would not <laughs> hurt myself. I'm saying that I would not be scared to do it. I would grab the machete and do it. And they're like, oh, damn, I cut my thumb. Um, but <laughs> Yeah, but I'm the type of person, I wouldn't just cut my thumb. I would cut it off. It'd be yeah. gone. But like, like, when I watch them do it, I'm very worried. It, I'm worried. I'm worried. I'm watching Jay and I'm like, oh, God, don't cut your thumb off. But he couldn't get a fire going. And then Michaela, with no experience, gets in there, grabs the machete, grabs the flint. And she gets goes a fire going. Goes to town. She gets a fire going. And you and, gotta think, like in this tribe too, is like there's is it Brett that's on this tribe? Where like they, you think that like oh Mister Bear of a Man, Mister um, Mister Gen X can can do this. Like isn't he a firefighter or something? He's a police sergeant. Brett, police sergeant. Yeah, yeah. I knew it. Was, I knew it was, it was something along those lines. Brett, Hannah, Jay, Michaela, Sunday, and Will. So at least you think Brett or Jay are going to be the alphas in that, and they're going to be the one right. to build the fire. They're but I one... tell you what, Michaela is Brett different because she is our queen. She is our queen. Rewind. And oh, oh, oh! Not only does she build the fire, we get this great moment where she's talking about that in that first challenge that that her tribe ends up uh, getting uh, one of the immunity in. She goes all. She just starts draining buckets. Kobe. It's one of those tribes where she's got one of those things where they get the buoys and they shoot the buoys into a basket. And she is she, just and you she can went tell full Kobe. She went you can full tell from, Mamba mode. And it's on another thing everybody. with her size. You can tell the combination of the weight of that buoy and the distance that she's shooting. She's having to throw everything into those shots. Mm-hmm. She's not just easing. You know, this isn't a little. You know. A carnival game where she's flicking the wrist and she's hitting the rim, like, and she's drilling them, draining shots. It was just it, and and at that point, she hit like, like we, four in a row before she missed. We had no choice but to name her queen. We didn't have a choice. It it had to happen. We did it, and it was just phenomenal. But I really another thing I really liked is that like 
Jay, Jay's one, another one of my favorites from this season. And instead of being like, because when, when you can't, when you're a person like Jay and so far you have built your survivor repertoire on being able to do stuff, you can catch fish, you can, um, you win at challenges, you build, you build the shelter, you make fire. It had to be deflating, and you could see it on his face. He was frustrated that he couldn't get the fire made. But Michaela gets that fire going, and Jay is right there, face down in the sand, blowing on it to try to make sure that the fire she started works. Right. He could have easily let that die, and then been like, "Oh well, you got it." But let, let's see if we can, you know, let's see if we can get it going again. He made sure that when she got that fire going, it stuck. And then when she took off because it was an emotional moment for her, he made sure the fire stuck didn't, yeah. and didn't go out. Yeah. Um, and that, that was just cool to me. That was cool. It's probably – maybe it doesn't matter, but it was a cool little Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. It's going to be fun. Um, <laughs> I don't want to ruin things for you, Jeremy, but just, just get ready to have your entire heart ripped out here in the future. Well, uh, now, you, now you've ruined the whole show for me. I don't want to watch anymore. <laughs> Spoiler alert, Michaela doesn't win this season. I mean, I already uh, knew that, and just be prepared. If you're listening to this, I've already told Justin, when Michaela does eventually leave us for this season. <laughs> it maybe next episode. I don't know. No, I'm kidding. I don't actually know when she goes. may have an entire Michaela appreciation episode of The Blind Side Rewind. Hey, I'm here for it, and I'm going to tell you, look, it is heartbreaking. I didn't want to see it happen. In fact, this may be why I don't like this person, or or let me take that back. It's the reason why when I watched it the first time through, why I did not really enjoy this player um, as much. Um, so just prepare for it. It's going to be, be emotional. It's going to be hard to watch. But you're going to get a great Michaela reaction moment out of it, at least. I mean, that there is a consolation for us. Um, so we'll wrap up there. But, man, it's, as usual, it's a lot of fun talking Survivor. We'll knock out some more episodes and um, be back the next time. David Wright has a lot of momentum coming into these next set of episodes. Um, got that idol. He kept it in play. He also earned some trust from Chris by sticking with the CC vote. Uh, in this in this final tribal council before we ended up last night, and so it'll it'll be fun fun to watch uh, his his role as he continues on on that. Watch a little bit more Michaela, and of course, see if we can turn you into an Adam fan by the end of the season. I don't think it's gonna happen, Chief. <laughs> 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 but anyway, man, it's it's been real, and uh, you guys keep listening, David Wright. Uh, Michaela Bradshaw, follow me on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter. Please do it. Just throwing that out there. Later. Later. <laughs>